Hello, everybody. I am Angela Seaborn, and you're listening to Age Free Woman. Don't let age be your cage. First things first, I want to uh, address the frequency of which I uh, post these podcasts. And when I started, I was very ambitious and wanted to wanted to have one a week. I found out very quickly that one a week was basically a pipe dream. Given that I am a one-woman show, I'm responsible for everything, production, post-production, you know, all of it, and, and learning as I go at the same time, all of which I love and am, am in no way complaining about it. I feel very grateful to do this. Nonetheless, at this point, I would say once a month is more attainable than once a week. Additionally, I've become involved in many different projects which I have taken on in order to get my message out there to show other women that this is the time, this is the age that you are ready to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve, to not allow age to be any kind of a deterrent. Happy New Year, everybody! I am so excited as a way to make up for my long absence. I have a special guest. She's close to my heart. I will be interviewing my sister. Oh boy, my inner child is happy, that's for sure. Anyway, I've chosen to interview my sister. She's had an interesting life working as a model for many years in her late teens and early 20s and um, I believe her life was quite fascinating. I know as you know a young person back then and from my little I guess well it's a big city I'm from Toronto but living in Scarborough Ontario and not really knowing a lot about the big world and then my sister suddenly just jutting off or jetting off sorry to Paris was like wow and I remember I was still in high school at the time, grade 12, I believe. I had a knee operation. All of my friends were visiting me in the hospital. And my sister came in, and she had this huge, beautiful fur coat on. Back then, it was okay to wear fur. And she's like a million feet tall. And she came into the my my hospital room and I was drugged up on uh, morphine and everything and all my friends were around and she's like, oh, Angela, I've come, I've brought you some banana bread. And you know, I was like, I thought, what's banana bread? <laughs> so, and I remember it was a really interesting scene and all my friends' eyes popped out of their heads like, wow, who's this beautiful woman? And you know, she looked like she just stepped off a movie set. But anyway, um, that is the truth. I'm not exaggerating because I'm her sister. I mean, I remember being younger, and this is even before she became a model, and we were at this park. My mother took us to this park for a picnic. It was a beautiful, warm summer day, and we had our bathing suits on under our shorts and t-shirts, so we took off our shorts and t-shirts, and we were just like hanging around, and I saw this cyclist. He was riding his, his bicycle, and there's this huge oak tree ahead of us. And as he was riding by, his neck was like, he was rubber necking. He kept twisting, twisting, looking back at my sister and then he smashed right into the huge oak tree. And 
you know, of course, we laughed and he was okay, but we never, ever forgot that. And it's always been a joke and something we talk about when we get together. So, yeah, it was, it, it, she was a head turner and she still is a head turner anyway. Um, beauty, brains, she had the whole package, right? Yeah, lots to live up to as a, as a young person, right? <laughs> anyway, I love her. So I want to welcome my sister, Kathleen Wildfoyer. And as I mentioned, she worked as a model in Paris. And after that, she, she also had her own clothing line for children, was quite successful, uh, a store that she had. I don't know if it was her own clothing line, sorry, but it was a store that she owned. And she was, I know she was very picky with the kind of clothing that she would bring in. It was high-end designer clothes for kids. And she was all, later, she also was the founder of Outset. It's a contemporary art fund. And so she would help f find artists and get funding for them. And with that funding also, she would help children in need. So she's done a lot of work in, in that area as well. So she's quite learned in contemporary art, in historical art. Um, I would say it comes naturally to her. She was always quite artistic. As for the fundraising part, I'm sure that was a lot of work and was all about establishing relationships, which she is also very good at. I know I sound like I'm Kathleen fan, and I am, and I am because she has, she does have these extraordinary skills. However, undoubtedly, working in the art scene, I'm sure, has been an an entire education in itself. It's always interesting for me to hear her stories about different artists and her experiences meeting them and the kind of work that they do. But I won't keep you waiting anymore. On with the show, this is it. So we're gonna jump right into the middle of a conversation between moi and my sister Kathleen Wildfoyer. My memories as a child growing up with you yeah. and your sister, you did not talk about ever wanting to be a model. Oh, oh I never knew what a model was. <laughs> That's I never knew what that was a job. Yeah. I never knew that was a job. Uh, I didn't know what fashion world was because I didn't buy fashion magazines. Um, I knew I was always interested in fashion later. Like I was very inventive what I could do with clothing and making yes, I remember. Yeah. Um, I, I always wanted to be in the medical field when I was a kid. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, that's for sure. But um, I think given the home life situation, that wasn't going to happen no matter what. And uh, yeah, so it just happened by accident. I was walking down Young Street in Toronto. And... Um, I remember that day very well because I bought, because I was getting a little bit of a fashionista. I like clothing. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I was 17, right? Mm -hmm. And I bought this red tunic dress that was very mini and I was walking and, you know, in, in Toronto, so there's those big grates. It was like a Marilyn Monroe moment. I was walking over and the material was very light because it was hot. It was summer. The train went under and my dress went up. So I threw uh -huh. it down with both hands. It was like, I was mortified. I was like really embarrassed. And all these horns started honking when that happened. 
And so I get off the grid and I start walking. And then this heavy set man comes running over to me. Mademoiselle, mademoiselle, with a heavy, thick French accent speaking English. Uh, are you a model? And I said, no. And he says, well, I'm doing a casting at this agency tomorrow at this time. And he gave me the card. And he wrote the name of the agency down. Mm -hmm. and it's on Young Street, and I'd like you to come there. And I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 some strange guy. And so then I called the agency. And that was it? There was nothing else? No, like, nothing want to go else. on a date? No, yeah, no, nothing like that. That's a, that's a sign of this is that's real. That's serious, right? Yes. And I looked yeah. it up, and it was before internet, right? Mm -hmm. And I was on Young Street. So I actually walked up the street because he was going there to speak to the owners. Mm -hmm. And I saw the model agency there. was written there. And then I called them. They said, yes, we're doing a casting. So uh, I didn't know what to expect. So the next day I went in and it was like, I oh. mean. Hang on. What's that clicking noise? Oh, sorry. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. And the next day I went in, there must have been like 50 girls in the lineup. And they're all holding these books and stuff like that. And I just walked in and I just looked around. I was quite intimidated because they were all standing around and combing their hair and waiting in line and they all knew each other it seemed and talking and I just waited and I think I was the second last girl to go in. Do you remember what you were wearing that day? Yeah I think I wore jeans with leggings like those pink leggings those workout leggings that were oh, in. Like uh, leg warmers? Leg warmers right. To the oh knee. yeah okay that's and so I cool. Wore, um snakeskin pumps open toed. <laughs> It's fun. <laughs> and I wore that with a big sweatshirt on uh -huh. top. Uh -huh. I, was that when Jamie Lee Curtis was doing all the workout videos? That was kind of the look, right? Oh, so cool. I went in like that. And I went in and then that man was sitting there. And there was two women sitting there. And they never met me before. And they said, this is the girl I saw on the street. Mm -hmm. And we started talking. And he said, and they took my measurements and they weighed me there. It was like really strange feeling. <laughs> no one ever took my measurements and weighed me. Mm -hmm. And then we started speaking. And then he said, right away, he said, yes, I want to take you to Paris. Oh, but yeah. you're going to have to lose two or three pounds. And I weighed 125 pounds at five foot 11 almost. Wow, that's skinny. Yeah. I was yeah, skinny. I remember you were pretty skinny. I was pretty skinny. Um, and he said, yeah, you have to lose two or three pounds, but other than that, you're okay. And I'm like, oh, really? And I was like, really surprised. And then he said, okay, the agency will get in touch with you in five days, the Toronto agency. Mm -hmm. And so then they got in touch with me and I had to come and see them. And they said, yes. I said, well, how you're going to go to Paris and you're going to go there for three months. And I said, mm -hmm. how does that work? And they said, we'll give you a ticket, a return ticket. And, you, and that's how you do it. Wow. So then I waited till the next summer because I had to wait till the summer, right? Okay, I and didn't know this. I'm like summer's over till September, October, mm -hmm. because in the city everything shuts down. All the photographers are away in the summer. There's not much going on. Right. And so I waited like I think it was like three months, and then mm -hmm. my ticket came in, and and it's funny because I thought, oh, I'm discovered. I thought I was like the only girl. <laughs> <laughs> Paris and I was going to be a big star like I never knew anything about models I started buying magazines and looking I'm sure a lot of girls thought the same thing I had no idea. and so yeah. then I get on the plane and I had to go to Montreal it stopped in Montreal and then it went to Paris and this girl got on and she sat next to me and she was going to the same agency as me aha uh -huh. that's funny that's like the model in the book that yeah. we'll talk about later yeah 
well, she was sitting next to me going to the same agency and she spoke French. She was French Canadian. I thought, and she looked like a model already. She was dressed really cool and hip mm-hmm. and everything. And so we spent the whole trip and then we got off and then she's okay, we have to call the agency. And then we called the agency. No one picks up, no one picks up. So then we were sitting for two hours at the airport in Paris. Mm-hmm. Both of us. But I felt safe because she spoke French. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to get us. And then finally said, no, no one's going to get you. Take a taxi and come here. And then, yeah, that's how the story started. So then it was the taxi ride to Glamour on Rue Francois Premier. Mm-hmm. Is Glamour the same agency that does Glamour magazine? No, no, that's totally different. That's totally different. Agencies don't do magazines. They just handle girls. Yeah, they're like brokers. Yeah, exactly. So what about before you went to Paris? So you were doing some work in Toronto. No, that happened afterwards. Really? I wasn't modeling yet. They told me, and they told me to get some pictures. So they told me the agency ah. gave me some names of photographers. Oh, okay. I had to go and... They always wanted money and I had no money. Right? Yes. Yeah. I remember. So I said to them, I have no money. And they said, well, they looked at me and they really said, okay, we'll do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. So I got some pictures together by some well-known, I can't even remember their names now, but yeah, very well. They were good shots because they looked like, I remember those shots. They looked like they were actual magazine shots. Yeah, they did. Didn't they? They looked mm-hmm. really good. And so mm-hmm. I did that. And then there's this one photographer that was shooting for a playboy. Mm-hmm. And I did that same tunic that I wore that I got mm-hmm. discovered on a surfboard in the water, but just in that, and the hair all wild and everything. And then they wanted me to do um, a cover try for Playboy, but I said no. So with, did you do any work for Playboy? No, they asked me, and it was a cover, and I had to be in a Mountie outfit on the cover. Uh-huh. I think it was Jerry Hall who did it in the end. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, and I was just so Puritan because they mm-hmm. said, you have to show your breast. I said, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Show so, your breast? Yeah, a little oh. bit because it's open, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The cover, you had to do the cover. And then at that time, I didn't know if it meant having to do the inside or not. Yeah. An yeah. article about Canadian girls. Uh-huh. Even though Jerry Hall's not Canadian, I don't think she is. <laughs> it was very funny. I wonder if she is. I don't think she is. Okay. She's from Texas. She's from Texas. Actually. Oh, okay. So it was this about Canadian girls. And they put uh-huh. her in. And, I didn't do it. and then with these little bit of pictures that I had, that was supposed mm-hmm. to help me. Uh, okay. Lots of things I didn't know. Because I remember when you lived at Village by the Grange and oh. you were running that fashion show. I, I don't know if you were running it or if you were in it. No, I wasn't in it. I was running it. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I had that store in that, but I wasn't in it myself. Yeah, well, I can see you. I mean, physically, I can see you as a model easily. I didn't but... think of being in it. That's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Like, so physically, I could see you as a model. Um, but creatively, I see you as the creator, designer behind the scenes. A runway model, too. A runway model and a print model back then was two separate worlds. Okay. Runway girls were usually women of certain races. They weren't white normally. Really? Yeah, they were usually uh, Asian or black. Wow. And very few. There were some white girls, but they had to be super skinny with no hips. And was it the, those big fashion models? I forget their name. Like yeah, Linda Evangelista and all that that changed it? And Cindy Crawford. They changed that whole game. Okay. Because then the um, designers realized by using print models, they got more press. Uh-huh. 
And so what happened to all those models who were doing runway? Did they continue or? Well, they continue. They still continue. But there was usually half and half. They mixed the, the big stars in. Mm-hmm. So the ones that were doing print wasn't necessarily they were doing runway still. The big stars were. were. Right. Okay. So the girls that that were. Like one designer may get attached to a certain print model. If she's doing the campaign, of course, she's going to be in the runway. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were visiting Toronto. You were living in Paris, working as a model then, and you were visiting me. And you were doing some work in Toronto as well. Yes, and I, I was. When I came to visit, then I went to the agency and I could get some work that would pay for my trip. Right. Yeah, that's smart. And I remember taking you to some go and then dropping, going to an agency with you and... And I was just a normal, young, pretty girl. <laughs> With, yeah. I wasn't fat. I wasn't skinny. I no, was probably, no. I was oh, fit. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I, re- I remember going with you and there was a girl there who was so skinny, because this just sticks in my mind, and she's young and skinny. And she said, oh, the agency said, I just have to lose 25 more pounds. And I was wondering, is that true or is that her, right? I mean, and then I thought, oh my God, she has to lose 25 pounds. I'd have to lose a hundred. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were quite voluptuous. You were more like the Cindy Crawford. I, that's how I yeah, remember you. I had, yeah, I had curves, even though, and that was always a problem for me mm-hmm. that I had curves back then. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember you saying you have to, you had to strap your breasts in a lot? Yeah, for some times, for some shoots. Mm-hmm. For catalog shoots, not. But for big, high fashion shoots, yes. Okay. So when you were in Paris, that must have been so exciting. Like, you were so young, and suddenly you're, like, going to the agencies, getting, going to go Like, how, how did that, how was that? It was like, I was up at, six doing hair and makeup the best that I could because I had no idea how to do it and then the agency would call me and I'd have 10 castings in a day 10 go and see all over Paris in different directions so I had my map in Paris and then we didn't have iPhones I didn't have to pull up the map and go on the subway and find my way and go all around everywhere and pick them off and tick them off and go to these castings and then you get back and you have to report back to the agency at the end of the day? No, usually you like the girls, you, the more you're in, you know, it's good to walk in at the agency that your face is in front of them. So if they suggest girls, they think of you too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. sure you were good at that. Yeah, I was good. Um, I think there was a lot of girls that were maybe a little more perfect than me for the job. But a lot of times I got the job because the people wanted to work with me. Mm. Just because of my personality. And most of the girls didn't get that. Mm-hmm. They were casting and they stand there and they look bored and chew gum and hand the book over and talk to their friends. And I would look, it took a lot of energy. I would read what they were looking for. And in between the castings, I'd go home and change to try to look like that. Oh, that's so smart. It was a lot of work, but that's mm-hmm. what I did. And uh, then I'd go in and I'd make sure I make eye contact with the people and talk to them and face to face. So they had some kind of feeling. And that's something you can't learn. Like I'm a good salesperson too. That's something you yes. that have innate in you. Yes or no. I think yes. so. They like me because I thought, you know, I have to go away for two weeks with people. I'd rather have this girl who I think is going to be professional and she's going to be easy to deal with and she's going to be talkative and she's going to be okay. And I mm-hmm. like her because sometimes maybe they're choosing between two different girls. So I'll take her because of that. Just going to make my life easier than being mm-hmm. with someone who's hard to deal with. 
also I imagine though, like having that good personality, um, it comes alive on film or video or, or print. Yeah. That's because because you're actually you can get into the character more. I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that that would have its advantages. So if you're able to be that way in person, then you could probably create the image that they're looking for on print. Yeah, a lot of people ask me that question. You never modeled before. How do you know to do? How do you do the pictures? Right? It's mm -hmm. not about holding your arm this way, your leg that way. Those are fine tuning. That comes later. Right? Mm -hmm. It's more about looking at the camera and thinking it's a person and trying to be the clothing that you're wearing. And I really noticed, according to my outfit, you change like personality wise for that. Yes, that makes sense. And, and that's what it's really all about. And if you can realize that, then it will be fine. You will do a okay job and, and, the, and the photographer will give you some direction and you can make it work. So I was never afraid. It's funny enough. I was never afraid. I was always a ham. You were bold. I remember you were always very, yeah, I would say you weren't fearful. Yeah, I remember that in you. you that's a really nice quality to have. And I don't, because I had nothing to lose, so I wasn't mm -hmm. afraid. <laughs> yes, yes. And like, it is kind of part of, part of your personality, but also I would imagine it was like, suddenly you're realizing you can make money just by how you look oh, and act. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I know when the agency first set me up, I was in Pigalle, Place de Pigalle. Wow. which is all the prostitutes and all the sex. <laughs> I know. And they put me in this, it's a little pension where you go and they had all these other models because it's really cheap, right? Until mm. you start making money, the agency is not going to put you in a nice place. So I'm in that place. I see all these other models up on the wall, there's Z cards. And I go home every night past the transvestites, past the prostitutes, and they'll say, hi, honey, how are you today? And they were like, always looking out that I was coming home okay. It was kind That's of nice experience, you know, and these ladies and men, ladies, whatever they were, were outside and in my hotel, some of them lived there. There was no, I don't think there were deals going down there, but they lived there, right? Mm -hmm. Stairs, and they say, oh, is that you? Put your posts up. They were all proud that models were staying in their hotel. And so I remember I had no money and there was a grocery store across the street and I got a rotisserie chicken with the French Canadian girl. We shared the room. Mm -hmm. and we were on the very top where the maids used to live. Mm -hmm opened the big windows and we sat on the roof and it was a beautiful evening. We had a big thing of grapefruit juice and a big roast chicken. And that's what we shared and ate it with our hands and drank from the same bottle. It was a great evening. <laughs> that's a nice memory. That was the life when I couldn't have money and I'd go to the agency and all the girls would go down to the expensive cafe and I could never go with them because I didn't have the money for that. Yeah. But it changed fairly quickly. I, I started making, I was very, I started making money quite fast. When you mentioned that all the transvestites and the, social, and the, and the sex workers, they knew yeah. you by name, like that's yeah. really good in terms of safety because you were young, 17 oh. years old. First time I was terrified. I've never seen anything like that. That frightened me walking into that hotel. Uh -huh. But I felt very safe. Like the person at the desk, oh, are you home now? Good. You know, I, I felt safe there. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to walk with your bare feet on the floor, but I know. felt safe. But I'm thinking the fact that you spoke to everybody, it's what any person who talks about personal safety would tell you to do. Make yourself yeah. known. No, make yourself personal. They don't go missing, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you do, people are going to say, hey, where's, where's Kathleen, you know? Yeah. But I didn't stay there very long. I didn't no, stay how there. long did you stay there? I think I was there about a month. 
Okay. That's not long at all. No. And then I went right away to the Champs-Élysées in a very nice apartment. (laughs) Really? Wow. That's a big step. But I shared it with like four other girls. Okay. Yeah. And the rent was still like a thousand each. So they were making money off of us. It was sort of like the feudal system where they give you the job uh-huh. and, and the, the companies would charge you the rent and everything at the end, your pay would be nothing, right? Oh, really? So, yeah. So yeah. it was like in the beginning because the photographers had to be paid, my rent had to be paid. And then you could take a loan out during the week for your food, a certain amount of money. Okay. Uh, yeah, because... When your jobs came in. Oh, well, the agency set it up like that. Oh, okay. They usually own the apartments if they have a mortgage on it. Oh. So they $2,000 a month. Oh. They put five girls and they're making money on the mortgage and paying the mortgage off. And how long did you stay there? I never stayed long. It was always like a year, six months, six months. And then I got another apartment over a really nice area all by myself with just one other girl because then I was making lots of money. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and where was that in the city? That was um, near Leal in that area. Where's Leal? Where the Georges Pompidou Museum is and stuff like that in Paris. It was near there. In a, sorry, in a little side street. Uh-huh. What, what station is that close to? Just like Lyon or? Leal. Leal. Oh, Le Hall. That's the yeah. subway station, the metro yeah. station too? Or George Pompidou. It's in between those oh, two. Oh, okay. Because I know in Paris they have Rondissement. Is that what it's called? Rondissement? Arrondissement, yeah. Arrondissement. The area? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Arrondissement. The fifth or the, I don't know which area that is anymore. Okay. So that's pretty close to the, the nice area, the center. Yeah, well, before fair. I lived in the nicest area, I lived in the eighth. That was the nicest, right next to the Champs-Élysées, on the Champs-Élysées, next uh-huh. to the Champs-Élysées. Uh, a very two-minute walk to the agency, which was on Francois Premier, which is the, one of the best addresses. All the expensive houses, the Maison de Caviar, and all the restaurants are around that area that are really nice. But Paris is not a big city. I think people don't get that. They say, oh, you went to such a big city. Actually, Paris is not a big city. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of little villages all stuck together. But it just every little arrondissement had its own flavor. Okay. Yeah. And usually the studios were not in the nice areas because it cost too much rent. Yes. Studios were in the other areas, and sometimes you had to take an S-bahn train to get there or whatever. Yeah. How was it living with like so many models when you were first there? Well, you know, well that first girl that I lived with, the French girl, she really didn't make it so well, and I thought she wouldn't. I came one day back to the hotel, and all my clothing was gone. So. She stole all my clothing with her and took it with her and went back to Montreal with it. Women, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's like crazy, right? <laughs> like, I couldn't believe all, oh, but I lived on a suitcase, but that was everything for me, right? Yes, yeah. Like, you needed to have one skirt, one dress, one pair of pants, depending on the casting, right? Yes. And then when I had more money, I lived in the Champs-Élysées with all those girls. It was fun because we had comradery. We, were, we mm-hmm. were like my comrades together. We'd come home at the end of the day. No one wanted to eat, of course, <laughs> because mm-hmm. we all wanted to be thin. And then so we'd be eating crackers and that, but then we'd all go out at night and party. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't work the next day on the weekend, right? So everyone was out partying in the discos and coming home together. And that made it sort of safe. Mm-hmm. But then there was a lot of 
even though we were friends, there's an underlying competition because other girls would get trips and get booked and you didn't get booked and you don't know why and you see one by one. Yes, that would be really hard. You don't want to compare yourself to other people. And fashion is something that you, it's hard not to. And at the same time, that's your downfall. If you do stick in that mindset, right? You have to compare yourself to yourself. So that must've been very difficult, especially when you're young. You don't know you're not supposed to compare yourself to other people. You do that out naturally. Job, to me, it was a job. It was a job for a way for me to make enough money and do something. I think I even told a story once, Chanel called me in for a casting. No. And I was like, why me? Because I was always pictured like the girl with the bathing suit on the horse, natural on the beach. That mm -hmm. was shoots. And Chanel's very high fashion. So they asked for me and I went in and I remember like, you have to go, you don't get to see Karl Lagerfeld. You first go to the first guard, the second guard, the third guard. And then finally I got to see Karl Lagerfeld at the end, which I wow. thought was very surprised. And then he just looked at me and he said, très spécial. And I thought, oh, I'm, I went back to the agency. I was all excited. He says, I'm very special. And the agency said, no, 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 Kathleen. In France, that's an insult. <laughs> you're oh. very, it was like, you're not right. Very special type, not good. Oh, <laughs> you he said it to your face? Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in, no, in the modern world, everyone said it to your face. You're yeah. big. Yeah, God. that's too small, or that's not good, or why did you do that to your hair? And you get a very thick skin. Things don't bother you. It didn't bother me. Funny. Mm. didn't bother me when people said things. I don't know why, just didn't. I'm sure there are women that it does bother or later on it might bother them, right? They might pack it away somewhere in their brain. Yeah, but I think um, when I was younger, I had other things said to me that bothered me more. And this was, yeah, yeah, that was the truth. So this was nothing. This was like candy. I didn't yeah. care. It wasn't about my character or me. It was just about how I looked. Funny. Mm -hmm. When you're young and you're working in that field and you know it's all about fashion and you see other models that you think are beautiful being told the same thing or something different, yeah. then, and then it's like, know, okay, this is gorgeous all the time too. Like you get the other side of it. Yeah. For the average person, right? Like in Paris, I couldn't walk down the street when I was young without someone stopping their car or someone asking me. That's just the way it is there. Asking you if you're a model? Yeah, you want to go out on a date, you want to oh, do this, yeah, yeah, you yeah. go to a restaurant, and my food would be paid for, or you go to the discos at night, and models didn't have to pay, right? You just go in, it's free for you. For everyone else, even back then, it was $100 to get in, mm -hmm. if you could go in, right? Wow, yeah. You brought the people. Exactly. So the model was the commodity, like always. So your whole life as a model is being a commodity. Mm. Okay, this is my interpretation of your career. This is what my thoughts are. I could be totally out to left field, but my belief was and is, I mean, I know it's a lot of work and dedication to get to be like a top, top model, um, to be like a Cindy Crawford or somebody like that. But you can also make a very good living without being a Cindy Crawford. You know, I'm wondering, I'm thinking in my mind's eye that you could have been one of those girls. I, I just feel that because I know your personality, not because you're my sister. I mean, I know your personality. I see your, I saw your fashion sense. Um, and in my mind, my belief is that somehow you just chose not to do it, pursue it that much, much more. Yeah. Well, I turned down a lot of work that I could have done that mm -hmm. would have brought me to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I had this choice. This was my choice. 
I could either go in the big girls game where the Cindy's, like I've worked with Christine Brinkley, Brooke Shields and girls like that, right? Mm -hmm. I could either be the small fish in the exclusive pond mm -hmm. or I could be the bigger fish in the pond that's not so exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go into that pond and be the little fish, which for my agency was not a little fish because I was working all the time and making good money. But I was in that group. And then you get better makeup artists, better photographers, better working conditions, first class tickets, things like that. Mm -hmm. But when I was in that exclusive group, I would get asked to do certain shoots and I, I turned them down. And the agency never understood me. And I, I, I was offered a movie with Jerry Lewis, and, but there was naked scenes in it. I turned mm -hmm. it down. Um, they wanted to cast me for a James Bond movie. And I didn't go to that with the other girls. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it, right? Right, yeah. But they saw my cover of this magazine and the movie producer fell in love with that cover because it was in a bathing suit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do it because they said there was naked scenes. So there was a lot of things I limited myself to. Because mm -hmm. there's not one picture in my modeling career that I'm embarrassed about that I couldn't show my kids when I got right. older. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that those girls who did that are bad. Like no. it was just, I was so prudish in my upbringing mm -hmm. that I just couldn't picture myself doing that. Yeah, it's one thing you wanted to keep as a personal, your, your sexuality personal. Yeah, because that was a little bit of a problem with me at that time. So that mm. went over the boundaries for me, right? Mm -hmm. so that's a problem. Mm. So like the Cindy Crawford and them, they did beautiful nude shots where you don't see everything, but the camera person does, the makeup person does, all the people see it, and they're beautiful shots, right? Mm -hmm. They, as the healthy person that I am, I might even have done that. But back mm -hmm. then, I couldn't handle that. So yeah, I no, I don't think I could either. I mean, now you could, but you don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> and no one asks me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that That's makes sense. And it's a real job and people don't think it's a job, but it's a real job. It's very disciplined. It's like, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink a lot. I was like very doing my job, making my money. And that was the way it went. Yeah, I bet I, that makes sense because you have to be up at five or whatever it is and you can't look hungover and, you know, you can't have like tired eyes or anything like the photographers. That's all they do all day is look at people. Couldn't retouch it like they do now. Uh -huh. yeah. It was too expensive because it had to go to a lab and retouch. Now with all the cameras, you can change everything yourself. Right. Because I remember I did a cover of Petra magazine. And all of a sudden, my eyes were light green. And they, and they weren't going to take me at first because they wanted a girl with a different color eyes. Mine are noisette, which is green-brown. Right? Yeah. Hazel. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to take me, but the photographer really liked me. So they took me and they paid. It took, cost them a lot of money to change the color of my eyes. So back then, the girls had to be really perfect. And mm -hmm. you saw little imperfections in the pictures a lot of times. Yes, I like Nowadays, that. Everything is perfect. If they think her thigh, her upper thigh looks too big, they just take it away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Skim it off. Like people do on, you know, on their own pictures that they put on Instagram and that. All the filters. Yeah. Yeah. Or they even have the devices where you can make yourself slimmer, stretch your body. It's all, people are filtering all their own bodies before you put them on. When you meet them, they look totally different. Mm-hmm. Judging themselves by that. So I believe that the men today think women should look like this because they have all these fake images of women that are out there. 
back yeah. then, the girl was really skinny, but you could see she had a little bit thigh or a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah. And I like that. I even remember movies where they would have the beautiful model and sometimes you'd see a little cellulite on the leg. Yes. And you don't right? see that anymore, right? No. Now in high definition, you see everything. Yeah. But they don't film always in high definition. A lot of times they do. Like you'll see the close you can see the woman's face. That's why I think they use more and more younger women now. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So what was the average age when you were working in fashion? Well, most of the girls were starting with 16. Mm-hmm. There were a few that were like 14, 15. But usually they came from wealthy parents and they came to Paris with their parents. Mm-hmm. And they lived in a nice hotel and the mother went all the castings with them and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. Because we weren't allowed to take girls. Like I was on the cusp of 17 turning 18, so I was allowed, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. I always had to lie about my age. I had to make myself two years younger. And I I remember I really thought I was two years younger, like 10 years later. (laughs) Well, that makes sense if you're telling yourself over and over. I, I photographed very young, and I remember I was in New York doing a job, and it was with Kim Alexis and that. We were doing this for Neiman Marcus. The catalog or something like that the flyer for the store or something like mm-hmm. that and they booked me because i was older by then right mm-hmm. and then the pictures they said oh she looks too young in photographs yeah i had a really energetic smile and i didn't have that lady look mm-hmm. and yeah so it was kind of funny you know so uh, even though i was older i looked younger than my age your energy your youthful energy comes through in the photo yeah, and it's nothing to do about wrinkles or lines. Mm-hmm. Like earlier, right? Your yes. Or your energy, which is there, comes through. So, so you worked in New York as well? Mm-hmm. New York is tough. New York is tough. A lot of competition. Mm-hmm. Lots of competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, did, oh, well, I did okay in New York. I did okay. Mm-hmm. I should have went there when I was younger. Yeah. Even better, but I got... I really love Europe. I love Paris. I was there 10 years. I had a wonderful life there. Uh, I don't have any really super horror. There were some incidents, but I don't like to go into those. But there were some. But basically, I had a wonderful life there. And I like my friends there. And I love the European way. And, yeah. and you learned a new language. Yeah, now I speak French, German, and English. Let's give it up for my sister, Kathleen Vilfoya. Thanks, Kat. So I did have more to this interview, but we were experiencing technical difficulties. So I will try to get my sister back on and because um, she has some more interesting things to share that I really found interesting. And maybe you would too. I actually, I think you definitely would. So yeah, we'll leave it for now. And hey, like, Please like this episode if you liked it and maybe give it a rating for sure. Give it a rating in Apple podcast or wherever you listen to this show. It really does help me and it helps me help other people because it makes my podcast more, um, I guess, more available in, in how the podcast come up when you do searches and things like that. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I do know the more likes and the more downloads and the more subscriptions I get, the better it is for other people. Uh, This is a free podcast and I want to keep it that way. Any kind of help you can offer in terms of 
spreading the word about my podcast. I really appreciate that. Take care and have an age-free day. You are a shining star.